Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Sylvia F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in San Francisco Bay. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. This is the 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting. And just a quick side note, yesterday we celebrated our one-year anniversary of this amazing spiritual fellowship as we study this big book of AA together. So we're going to call this our anniversary week. Um, Today we are reading from the big book on page 30, more about alcoholism. We're going to read the first paragraph, which starts with most of us have been unwilling. Today's readers are Libby E. on the 12 Steps, Carrie S. on the 12 Traditions. Our readers of the text are Elaine B., and Karen R. Our newcomer greeter at the end of the recorded hour is Melanie C. So stick around for that where we greet newcomers, sponsors, and announcements. And uh, if you could all mute yourself, that would be lovely. The reference number for Tuesday, February 20th, 10 a.m. Eastern Time is 11,071, 11,071. And the share ID for this morning's meeting, 7 a.m. meeting, Wednesday, February 21st, is 11,076, 11,076. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Libby E. to read the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Libby? Thank you, Sylvia. Good morning. I'm Libby E., recovering compulsive eater in New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Libby E. I will now ask Carrie S. to read the 12 Traditions. Thank you, Sylvia. It's Carrie S. Recovered in Colorado. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, 
carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction Rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Carrie S. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except for the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book and we are on page 30. We are cracking open more about alcoholism. We're on the first paragraph, which starts with most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. And I will now ask Elaine B. to go ahead and um, read that for us. Elaine? Thank you very much for your service, Sylvia. This is Elaine B. recovered in Massachusetts. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it's not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control his and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Wow. I don't know how many times I read this before I got it, <laughs> before I really got it. And, you know, I looked up the definition of the word vain. Um, the uh, drinking careers, my eating career was characterized by countless vain attempts to prove I could eat like other people. So it's empty, worthless, no substance or value, fruitless, ineffectual, unreal, even showy or obstinate at times, um, false, deceitful, not effective. It's interesting about the word false and deceitful because I also was struck by the word the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. The definition for illusion, I like to look this up in the Webster's 1828 dictionary because some words like brainstorm are used a little differently today. So um, illusion is deceptive appearance, false show by which a person is or may be deceived or his expectations disappointed. And that certainly was the case for me. You know, um, I love this book, and I had been reading this book, but somehow that man who said in the room, said even while we're sitting on this meeting, 
our disease is out in the parking parking lot doing push-ups. And when I had that, you know, that idea that somehow I could control and enjoy my, my food, little did I know how much my disease had grown. And um, when I fell, I fell hard, face down into the food, sitting in the back of the room, shaking my leg, thinking, where am I going to get that taste after this meeting? Going and showing up at the meeting and being mad because there were other people from the meeting there and they couldn't see me buying that, even though I had gained 40 pounds of the 100 I had lost and maintained for for a while. But you know what? What I need is a spiritual solution because everything I tried on my own was a vain attempt. Um, you know, and I needed a power greater than myself that understands this obsession and that will give me a daily reprieve. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where food lights up to me, but when food lights up to me, now it's an indicator like a red light or a yellow light, proceed with caution, dear, or stop altogether because you've got something amiss. Go check with your higher power and get back in alignment and then my real need will be met. And my real need is often not food. I hope you find and discover that by doing the steps and staying with us, especially if you're new. Well, all of us. And so um, look forward to hearing your shares. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Elaine. Um, okay, we're going to uh, start creating a list of people who want to share on that paragraph, which is page 30, first paragraph, about most of us have been unwilling uh, to admit we were real alcoholics. Who do I have here? Okay. Jenny L.C. Kathleen uh, O. Okay. Uh, I have Penny L.C. I have Kathleen O. I miss, missed the first person there. Chevy K. Uh, Chevy K. I think that there was someone else. Who did I miss? Okay. Well, let's keep this list going then. Who else? Leslie W. Leslie W. Kathy G. Kathy G. You guys are being so good to me. Jamie F. Jamie F. Okay. That sounds good. So I've got Penny L.C., Kathleen O., Chevy K., Leslie W., Kathy G., and Jamie F. Go ahead, Penny L.C., followed by Kathleen O. Thank you very much, Sylvia, for your service. Good morning to everyone on the line. This is Penny L.C., a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from the state of Washington. And I see in this, in this paragraph as we begin this chapter, you know, we're given a chance to look further at our mental obsession and what drives me to compulsively overeat. Um, I'm, I'm given a chance further to identify in, um, you know, I was unwilling to admit I was a real compulsive overeater. Um, I wanted to try everything else and did uh, try a lot of things um, before I surrendered. And um, uh, boy, <laughs> it was not a pretty journey like, like many of us can testify to. Um, I didn't want to think that I was bodily and mentally different from others. You know, who wants to be different? You know, you don't want to stand out. You don't want to be the one that the kids are pointing to in class because, you know, for whatever reason, you got glasses and nobody else in class did. Um, you know, and nobody nobody wants that position. I didn't want to have to be, you know, set aside in a special category. Um, and, you know, yeah, those, those countless vain attempts to prove that I could eat like other people, that I could diet like other people, and then somehow I would magically become a normal eater again, which never happened. Um, the fact that, you know, I wanted to be able to attend functions and not be so focused that everything was all about the food, but it was for me. And, and yet I would continue that illusion that somehow someday I could get a handle on it if I just tried harder. 
Well, thankfully, this is a progressive disease. And it did progress for me until the point where I got to a critical level where food became my all, my everything, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I had to surrender. Or I was going to go into that insane, uh, death-like living existence that had no, no sense of purpose at all. It was just an existence. But instead, I finally decided to pick up this kit of spiritual tools and find a whole new way of living. Thank you, God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Penny LC. Kathleen O, followed by Chevy K. Good morning, Sylvia. Thank you for your service this morning. This is Kathleen O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. Most of us have been willing to admit we were real. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. My mind always persuades me I can be normal around food when I have proven over and over that I'm not. You know, when I start, I don't stop. And that is not normal. We have a we have a mind that tells us we really aren't an addict. I know I had a, that was that was my mind. It's like, oh, I'm not really this way. I can you know I can control this. I can be different. And yet you know years and decades of experience in the phenomenon of craving, and yet I would still say, well, it won't happen again. And you know this time I'd control it. This time I'd get it under control. And the idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. This persist, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. He will control and enjoy his drinking. Well, the reality was when I controlled my eating, I was not enjoying it. I was white-knuckling it. And when I was enjoying it, I had no control. I was off to the races, crazy, and the way I would eat, I'm sure many of you on this line can picture what I'm talking about, but a normal eater would be shocked if they saw the way I could consume food. So this obsession, an obsession, you know, an idea or thought that continually preoccupies and intrudes on a person's mind of, of that someday, you know, I'm going to be different. And, you know, I would defy, I would delay, I would resist. I mean, what other diseases are out there? where, you know, we really have absolutely no enthusiasm for recovery. I mean, it is so baffling and cunning. And, you know, I, I could control my eating until I could no longer control my eating. And the reality, you know, the reality was, it's just, it was an ugly picture. And I had to give up the illusion and the delusion that I'd ever be able to enjoy and control my eating, that that day was never going to happen. And unless we're willing to admit we're compulsive overeaters, that we are bodily and mentally different from normal eaters, we're just not going to see the urgency of these steps. And I love the image of that cartoon character, the man with his hair on fire, running. And, um, you know, I had to work these steps like that. And what I finally had to do, which really helped, was instead of every day waking up and saying, well, tomorrow I'll do it, tomorrow I'll do it, tomorrow or Monday or the next whatever I'll do it, I woke up and said, today I'll be abstinent. Tomorrow, you know, I'll, read, I'll, I'll see if maybe I want to eat tomorrow, but today I'll be abstinent. And thank you for the little timer I passed. Yeah. Thanks, Kathleen. Oh, I barely hear that timer on my end, and apparently it's just huge on your end. Sorry. Uh, Chevy K, uh, followed by Leslie W. Good morning. My name is Chevy K. <clears throat> Gratefully recovering, compulsive overeater taking each day one step at a time. Thank you, Sylvia, for your service. And thank you, everyone on the meeting here who encourages me and inspires me on a daily basis. So most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. And from the time I was a little girl, I had no concept of portion control. Whatever I enjoyed was consumed in huge quantities until I was sick, and the quantities only increased as I got older. Um, But if you had asked me if I was a food addict, I would have recoiled at the suggestion and would have been extremely insulted Um, because addiction to me referred to drugs 
alcohol, cigarettes, or sex, but food, uh, but certainly not food and not me. The definition of illusion, as I was taught, is false or erroneous perceptions of reality. And my self-perception was truly blurred. Um, It was skewed and it was a total lie. According to me, I simply was an emotional eater, like many others, who ate under the influence of different emotions and conditions, which were completely beyond my control. Um, During my second pregnancy, um, I gained an enormous amount of weight. Um, And I actually convinced myself that the weight gain was the baby's fault because she was going to be a big baby. And um, P.S., she was born. And this baby, who was supposed to be enormous, weighed six pounds. And I had the rest to lose. And it was a struggle because being a compulsive overeater, um, it was just out of control. Um, But I lost the weight temporarily. And then I became pregnant with our third child, our son. And um, being completely weight-obsessed and a compulsive overeater and um, food addict, I would go through cycles of binging and then starving. And I was really, really sick. Um, I had steady contractions throughout my pregnancy, and I went into premature labor when I was 27 weeks pregnant. They were able to hold me out. And um, I gave birth to him when he was 28 weeks old. Um, It was absolutely terrifying. And everyone around me tried to reassure me that this premature birth wasn't my fault. Um, It was meant to be this way. It was in God's hands. There was nothing that I could do about it. Um, I did the best I could. Um, But I know in my heart, and I knew then, Um, And my conscience was whispering to me over and over again that perhaps this happened because I was abusing my body so badly and the baby couldn't thrive in me. Um, Thankfully, he thrived outside of me and he's an amazing kid today. But this incident really brought me to a place of tremendous guilt, which ultimately brought me um, to reality. It completely dashed um, that illusion. And this was a blessing. And shortly after this time um, in my life, I was introduced to OA, um, and it got me back on track, and it got me into honesty, and um, it's been a miracle. Thank you so much for allowing me this time, and I pass. Thank you, Chevy K. Leslie W., followed by Kathy G. Thank you so much. This is Leslie W., um, a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. Yeah, I didn't really want to think that I was different from other people. Um, my my inability to control my eating was um, really not apparent until my I hit my 30s and I had my first child. And I didn't have the distractions of work, um, the pursuits of my career to distract me from my eating. And I was at home nursing, sleeping, and eating round the clock, um, eating round the clock, and was pretty miserable, was depressed. Um, and uh, at one point, suicidal. And I knew there was something wrong. Um, by the grace of God, I found Overeaters Anonymous, and still to this day, it's sometimes hard for me. Um, you know, eight years later, I came into the rooms in 2010. Sometimes it's still difficult um, to to admit um, that I'm bodily and mentally different from my fellows depending on what situation that I'm in, but I'm coming increasingly more comfortable in being able to advocate for myself. Um, I do know that I am, that I am sick with a disease and 
I used to eat at, uh, I used to break my abstinence for people. <laughs> and by that, I mean um, to please my mother-in-law when she made a special cake or, you know, whoever it may be. Um, and uh, I don't do that anymore. It's actually a really humbling experience for me. I, I recently, within the last few months, um, had had have begun had started to add more structure into my food into my program and I now weigh and measure everything that I eat um, and I wasn't doing that before even at restaurants and not only I was scared to do that I always said I'm not going to be that person that takes a scale into a restaurant however the amount of freedom that I have experienced from having having structured guidelines around my food and the humility that I experience every time somebody asks me a question, what's that? Why do you do that? I explain to them, this is what I do to stay well. And that's what I have to do because I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows. Thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Leslie W. Kathy G., followed by Jamie F., Good morning, everyone. This is Kathy G. from Illinois, Grateful Compulsive Overeater. Grateful to be here. Thanks, everyone, for your service today. Wow, this this paragraph for me, it, it hits me hard. It really hits me hard today. I'm in a lot of pain today. I'm in um, I'm in emotional kind of pain. Uh, but thank God I recognize that I am bodily and mentally different from other people. And I realized when I read the first line, uh, unwilling to admit that I was a real compulsive overeater, and then went down and it says, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. I'm on my ninth step, and that's why I'm in a lot of pain, because I'm having to face uh, making amends to people, you know, that I harmed or possibly harmed and and I was talking with one of them this week, and it's been going great. It's just really coming to the painful awareness of what this illness has done to my life. And this particular person um, is in AA, and I said, you know, um, I might not be able to relate to some things in AA, like where I once heard somebody say that they had swallowed Listerine. Like, I haven't gone there with alcohol. I don't drink because I believe that I'm probably an alcoholic who got off the train, you know, um, before I was led to the gates of insanity or death. But I said to this person, you probably can't relate to the fact that I was in bathrooms, many bathrooms, eating food just to try to take the edge off of my feelings, particularly my fears, and I would just, be in a bathroom and sometimes I would have a moment of clarity where I would just become aware of what I was doing and think what are you doing eating food in a bathroom and it would strike me that normal people don't do this I also thought uh, during the reading that my very first therapist used to say to me and she was in AA too and she used to say to me uh, it's all about acceptance it's all about acceptance. And so I have to choose to not feel sorry for myself today, that I am different bodily and mentally from other people. I have to accept that. And that's why I'm feeling the pain, because I'm not using food, and it's okay. I decided to get more help. I haven't had counseling for many years, but I started counseling yesterday. It was painfully, excruciatingly wonderful. Uh, because, whoa, whoa, this is a person in recovery who's the counselor, and I had to hear some things that were, that kind of took my breath away, like holding a mirror up to me. So much more work to do, but I don't have to do it with extra food today. Um, I can do it with you and with God. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Kathy J. And G. And Jamie F. Hi, good morning. This is Jamie F. in Philadelphia recovering. Thank you, everybody, for 
your honesty. Um, this this illusion, and to tell you the truth, I, I still have the illusion, definitely. Um, but here's here's how complicated it, it gets to me. I was so unwilling to admit that I had the disease that I didn't even know that I was one of the ones that was unwilling to admit it, if that makes sense. Not only was I unwilling to admit it, I was unwilling to admit that I was unwilling. Um, and so the reason for that is that I did not want to have a disease because I did not want to be uh, wrong and bad and that's how I, and weak. That's how I associated illness with wrong and bad and weak and uh, like stigmatized. So I had a real stigma against the disease. Um, and another piece of it for me it, that helped me stay in illusion and delusion was that well I could I could stay in a low body weight. So if I could stay thin, there is my proof that I don't have this obsession and that I don't have this disease. And so there I was in a low body weight, you know, proving what I was hoping to be true that I didn't have the disease. Um, but also incredibly miserable and also uh, obsessed with what I wasn't eating and obsessed with myself. Um, so for a long time, you know, I, I was living under the illusion that I was fine because I was thin, and that was the, that was the main illusion that I had. If you're thin, you're fine. If you're overweight, you're not fine. Um, and so that's, again, why I think that it is astonishing and it is cunning, baffling, and powerful because I've had such a powerful system of denial and um, you know, this paragraph, I think I, I kind of avoided, danced around, and pushed away for some 20 years, to be honest. That's how, that, that really is astonishing. Um, and I think it was my fear that I, that I had it. And, you know, I'm saying that I, I do have it, um, but there's definitely parts in me that, are, that will still say, well, no, because, you know, look, you haven't had flour and sugar for X number of years, so you're probably fine. You're not like them. You don't want to be like them. Also, um, there's a lot of people in my family that have the illness, so it really appeared normal. I did think it was normal to cram food in your face in the bathroom. It seemed like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, and that's another layer of the intensity of the of the illusion that I'm so engulfed in the illusion that I wasn't able to see around it. Um, and so this this is this is this is where I'm at. This is who I am. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Jamie S. Okay, we're on page thirty. We're on the first paragraph of more about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics and I'm ready to take another list. Lois C. Lois C. I think I hear, heard Liat TD and then I heard someone else. Mo H. I Leia have Mo M. H. Kirkopi. I have Leia Ginger C. <laughs> Wait, okay. Uh, so I've only missed one, so you're going to have to identify Lois C, Liat TD. Hold on. Lois C, Liat TD, Mo H, Leia M, Sherry KB, and that there was someone else right in the middle of there that I missed. Ramona Kelly A. T. Oh, it was Kelly T. That's who Ramona I missed. Ramona A. And, uh, and Ramona, I've got you too. So this is, we got a good Catherine. long list. Hey, hang on. I have Lois C, Liat TD, Mo H, Kelly T, Leah M, Sherry KB, Ramona A, and I have Jordan L. And we're not going to get to everyone if everyone uses their three minutes, but you have your three minutes, so let's go for it. Lois C, followed by Liat TD. Hi, this is Lois C, a recovered compulsive overeater and bulimic from Minneapolis. And this paragraph is so compelling. I was among the most of us who have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. One of my last big binges and going up the scale 50 pounds started with me going to a birthday party and having cake. And I remember being at the birthday party. I'd been abstinent from flour and sugar 
for about 18 months. I was at an ideal weight. And at that moment, I really believed that because it had been so long since I had had my dangerous foods, as I sort of identified them, that I was now a normal eater. I could have this one piece at this party and prove to everyone I was normal. It was a special party. It was a special cake. And I remember thinking, tomorrow I'll go back to not eating any sugar or wheat, and I'll be just fine. I just want one piece. I want a chance to be normal like everybody else, and then I'll be fine. And for me, that set into motion two years of not being able to put down sugar and flour, not being able to stop binging, not being able to stop purging. And I was absolutely miserable and had to gain almost 50 pounds before a dear fellow um, invited me to go to my first OA meeting. And it was at that meeting that I heard for the same first time that there were other people who thought the way I thought, who acted the way I acted, and who had the same allergy. I didn't even know this was a thing. And I think that's the important message I have to remember to share when I'm sharing the message with other fellows, is until I went to that OA meeting, I had no idea there were other people like me who were allergic to food or certain foods. I didn't know that there were other people like me who once they started, they could not stop. And so now when people, I go to birthday parties and people ask me if I want a piece of cake, I say, no, thank you. Or I say, not today. But if I'm really pushed and they're inevitably at a party as somebody who is suffering, who is really wants to know why, and I think those are the people who really need to know more. And so for them, if I'm pressed, if I'm pushed, um, I will say, you know, I'm allergic to sugar and flour. And then if they push more, then I will share more. And what I will say is I have an allergy. And when they ask, well, what does that mean? Do you break out in hives? What happens when you have an allergy? And I'll tell them once I start, I cannot stop. And every once in a while, I will have somebody like nod in this acknowledgement that, like me, they cannot stop once they start. And I've had people who've wanted to ask Fine. how I then stopped. And I think that's part of carrying the message and sharing away. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lois C. So I'm going to keep people pretty tight to three minutes. And if you want to go shorter, that's fine to try and fit everybody in. But it's Liat TD followed by Mo H. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, beautiful people. Wow. Just love this meeting. Um, and this is a very famous, popular sentence that, I, I, that, you know, none of us like to admit. You know, and I can relate. You know, I I, I can't overeat as anonymous. Um, over 30 years ago, I was 17 when I started. And I always knew that I am mentally different. You know, I was a weirdo. I still am a weirdo. <laughs> You know, I think the crazy way I act in a crazy way, I'm intense, you know, you know, I, I find myself in situations, thoughts that I just don't know where they're coming from. And I believe in them. I'm delusional. So I never had that problem of seeing. I always thought actually that if I will fix this problem of my mind, that maybe I wouldn't need to eat that much because it's overwhelming being me. Um, and, but it took, it took a long time for me to, uh, come to a place where I see that, you know, I am abnormal when it comes to eating and, uh, and I'm never going to be normal. I'm never going to be normal either. And that happened to me, that realization happened to me coming up on the 28th, I'll have 18 years and I'm grateful for every second of that time that, you know, I've been freed from from the desire to go back to eating. And, and, you know, and I used to really resent people that came from food programs to our OA meetings and, and share with us about their experience with food programs and weighing and all that. And I just, because I was afraid that they'll take the food for me. And, uh, and today, you know, I've been weighing my food for not eating flour, sugar, three meals a day. <laughs> 
for almost 18 years. But I wanted to say is that I was listening to this speaker yesterday, an alcoholic, and he was sharing that he's an alcoholic, he's not an overeater. So when he sees somebody eating broccoli, he's not worried about the broccoli. When does broccoli end? And I'm a food addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a gambler. So when I see someone drinking, I don't think, gosh, I wonder where they're going to finish the bottle. When someone takes a pill, I don't think, oh, man, I wonder if they're going to finish that bottle of pills. Or when someone gambles, I've been in, in institutions, you know, like home, places where people gamble. I don't wonder when are they going to empty their pockets. I don't have that, but I do have it with the food. And even though I'm clean with the food for all this time, when I see my child eating a cake, I'm wondering when are they going to finish that cake? Are they going to lick the plate? Are they going to think of more? And that's my mind. And it has nothing to do. It's my mind. It's my body. This is how I seek food. It's, it's, you know, it's pit. There's no, it's a hole without, there's no, you know, never enough. So it's, it's, it took me a long time. It took me 12 years to come to that place where I really see that I have a physical problem. I have physically, I'm different than my fellows. And I'm grateful for, for that that I have conceded to my normal self that fact. I love you all. Thank you for our pass. Thank you, Liat TD. Mo H, Kelly T, and then Leah M. We're not going to have time for everyone, so let's keep it going. Thanks, Mo H. Hey, uh, thank you, Sylvia, very much. Uh, my name is Mo H, Recovered Compulsive Eater in Northern California. I'm going to take a little different. I had a, an insight this morning when I was listening to the shares, and yes, what a wonderful, what a powerful paragraph is uh, compulsive overeater. I did not want to be labeled a compulsive overeater, and for years I fought the label. I was not like you. I, I identified out most of the time. And so what I thought about this morning was my daughter is a school psychologist, and she shares with me, you know, some of what she does. And what she does is she tests young children. And she works in the grade school and junior high uh, to see, you know, why they're struggling with school or why they're, they're uh, lashing out or whatever it is. And eventually there is a label put on them, uh, uh, but for a good reason. They're labeled autistic or ADHD or ED, which means emotionally disabled. And the reason for that is then the school can give the student help. So once I accepted, so that really hit me, is once I accepted and really dug in with, uh, with both my heels to the fact that I am a compulsive overeater, once I accepted that into my heart, then I was able to get help. All of you helped me. This book, this meeting has just been a wonderful, wonderful gift. So I just wanted to share that. And then the last sentence here, many pursue it into the gates of insanity. I have that down written as the ultimate bottom. And that's where I was two years ago, or two and a half years ago. I was at my ultimate bottom. And so anyway, with that, I'll pass. I'll give time for the others. Thank you. Thank you, Mo H. Kelly T. followed by Leah M. Hello, everyone. My name is Kelly T. from New York City. Can you hear me? Uh, yes, I can. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for everybody who has shared. Um, I so needed to be here right now. Um, I've been a bit isolated with the program, and it's, it's great to just get on and just hear the lines like, so in acceptance that I have this illness, that I need to work the program every day, no matter what. And it's a reminder that I, I will always be a compulsive overeater, and every day I have to work the program because if I don't, I will go back to the food. So just hearing those lines today, I was like, oh, shit. I'm so, thank you, higher power. Thank you so much because I remember when I first got into the rooms, I, I knew – that I was a compulsive overeater, but I did not understand that it's also a mental obsession. So I had a hard time in the beginning because I couldn't put down the food. But there was no way for me to recover because I was so into the food. I couldn't accept it that I needed a higher power because the higher power that I grew up with. And I was like, I could still be the God and still control this food. 
and I kept falling and falling until I hit the bottom and realized once I put down that food, that's when recovery started for me. If I didn't put down the food, I wouldn't understand the Bible because I read the Bible in the beginning. I had no idea what the heck I was reading. I was so fogged in the, I was so fogged that I didn't understand anything. I didn't even realize they were talking about the mental obsession until I got into a vision for you. Like, I didn't even know about the mental obsession. I thought it was just an allergy of the body. I thought if I, if I control the food, then I'll be fine. But it's also the mental obsession issue. That's the main issue. And I'm just so grateful to be in the lines and to hear all, all these amazing recovered people. And thank you for service. I pass. Thank you, Kelly T. Leah M., followed by Ramona A. Thank you very much for your service. Um, the persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. I mean, our book calls it cunning, baffling, and powerful. And, you know, this disease took hold of me at a very young age and wrapped its grip around my neck. And, uh, you know, I just didn't want to be one. You know, even despite the consequences of my illness, despite the uh, madness and mayhem that was developing, because every facet of my life uh, was touched by this illness and deteriorated. Uh, physically, you know, there were medical consequences from anorexia, from bulimia, and from compulsive overeating. Uh, you know, socially, there were consequences because I was in deep isolation. Emotionally, there were consequences because of, you know, I contemplated suicide uh, for, you know, quite a long time. Um, you know, every relationship, socially, mentally, physically, you know, everything in my life was touched by this illness, and yet, <laughs> you know, this this allergy of the body and the twist of the mind, I wasn't, could not learn from the consequences. It was as if I could not connect the dots. It took someone who sat across from me and whom the problem had been solved to crack open this text and shine it right in my face based on my history, my personal experience. It was comical and tragic at the same time because the reality is that when someone has cancer, they accept they have cancer and they get help. When someone is crippled, they accept that they are crippled and they get help. When someone is diagnosed with AIDS, they get help for that. I was acting like a compulsive overeater. I was looking like a compulsive overeater. My history of two decades was very clear. I was a compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic, and yet my mind said, I'm not really a compulsive overeater, therefore I do not need to do those things. It seems to be the only disease known to man where a person has no enthusiasm for recovery. We see it even on the line. You know, this is not an intellectual exercise. This is about a beating, for me at least, a beating to a pulp from this illness and a thrusting up my hands, God, whoever you are, please save me. Because unless I humbled myself by taking step one, I did not need the rest of the program. Because if I thought I had power over this disease, then I didn't need to believe in a power greater than myself. There was no convincing me, only by this illness. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. And Ramona A., I think you will be our last um, uh, share for the day. I apologize to Jordan. Hi, this is Ramona A. in Vermont, and thanks for all who are doing service on this call. Um, in the beginning, I... I was a compulsive overeater from birth, I'm sure, and and that happened to be before OA was even started. So as I grew, though, I knew that I was different. I accepted I was different. There was nobody around me in my family, in my school, and even the community, any other children that I could look at that looked like me or ate like me. And so I knew I was different, but I didn't know why. And that went on till I don't know, I was probably, you know, with with diets. And um, I knew there was something wrong with me, too, because people kept putting me on diets when I was too young to choose it myself. And, of course, then I chose it later just to try to be acceptable. 
But in my 30s, I found out that it was a disease. What kind of a disease, I didn't know, but at least having a, an eating disorder was more acceptable than nothing. And still, it wasn't until I was almost 40 that I learned what 12-step programs were. I learned about them. I, I guess growing up in a very small rural area, I just didn't know anything about them. So I did. I dived, I dove in, and I loved it, you know, and it... it uh, it was not big book. I wasn't introduced to big book at all at that time. But I did obtain recovery for many years. And then I decided that maybe things were okay and I needed to do something else. And I did. And, of course, I gained more weight than I'd ever had. So I came back to OA. I said, this is my only solution. But it was still several years before I was introduced to the big book as a way of uh, going through the steps and recovery with this meeting. So it has been a miracle in my life. OA itself, the steps, and now going through it with the big book. It's a deeper level. It's a uh, better recovery, and I feel recovered, you know, each time I go through it. And uh, I guess that's what I would say to anyone who is thinking about it, you know, whether you feel you belong or don't. Come in and give it a try. Come in and do it, and you'll see. So thank you. I pass. Thank you, Ramona A. That's all the time we have for sharing. And um, uh, stick around at the end of the recording. We still have a 10-minute meeting uh, introducing newcomers, uh, sponsors, and announcements. Thank you to Team Wednesday, and we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Karen R. please read a vision for you? Hello, this is Karen R., compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic in North Carolina. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. <clears throat> Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.